Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I do not own a fancy car. I don't expect that I ever will own a fancy car before I die, unless perhaps I win the lottery. And uh, to win the lottery, you've got to buy a ticket. And I haven't bought a ticket in a while. So my chances is a longer way around of saying my chances of ever owning a really, really nice car, small. Uh, and I'm not even sure that anyone would describe me as a car guy. Scott Thompson certainly wouldn't. Host of the Midday Show. Scott and I have talked cars before. He's the car guy. But I can appreciate the beauty of a gorgeous car. And I'm sure you can too. And even if you think, no, I don't, cars, ah, they don't do anything for me. Look, show me the person who sees a Lamborghini pull up beside them on the road and they don't gawk at that car. And I'll show you a first because you cannot help when you see a car that is just stunning to look at it. They are works of art, some of these supercars. And if you own one of these, you, I'm sure, feel the same way. And if you do, you might want to get a picture of it or a portrait of it, like your family, which is where my next guest comes in. He's a Hamilton photographer who has been doing portraits of people's cars, portraits of people's cars during this time. They're inside, the car is outside. He takes their photo. And he's doing it all over Ontario. There is apparently a huge demand for this kind of thing. Uh, Lucas Scarfone is his name. Scarfone, uh, Lucas, how are you today? Thanks for joining me. Hey, Scott, how's it going, man? I, I appreciate you doing this. It's a, it's a cool thing that, uh, that you're doing, which I would have never, ever, ever considered. But then I read the story about this and I see some of the photos you're posting and it's like, well, yeah, of course, of course, you have a piece of art that you own. You want to take a picture of it. That's the thing. You know what? I found that uh, I've been shooting cars for a long time, but a lot of these guys are very connected to the cars. So it's interesting. I'll do prints for their garages or offices. Uh, and uh, it's always funny. Their wives always kind of make fun of them. And they're like, you don't have pictures of the kids on the wall, but you'll have a picture of your Ferrari. <laughs> so, yeah, well, uh, the Ferrari costs a lot more. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Um, so, and these are, I, I thought, you know, you mentioned guys, I, I knew I was going to ask you that these are all guys, right? There's no woman who owns a Porsche or a Ferrari that calls up and says, I need a photo. These are no, guys. Man, no, no, not at all. You know what? It's amazing. I've, I've been shooting for a long time and it's obviously predominantly men, but there's, there's a lot of really passionate women out there and you see them at the racetrack on different rallies. And it's, it's obviously a, a bit of a smaller, uh, population there, but it's, it's still there. And you know what? I've done a, uh, a shoot with, um, she has three Dodge Vipers. So same thing. Like she just fell in love with the cars and it's good. You know, and it's nice to be able to, uh, to kind of cater to both owners. Is she by chance single? I'm sure my producer, <laughs> Ben would be interested in meeting her. <laughs> She's not, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, okay. So let me walk through this. So you're a photographer, as, a, as you say, you've shot cars professionally for a while here. So people, what just started when this all happened and now they're stuck in their house and people are looking for something to do. They just called you up somehow out of the blue and said, please take a photo of my car? Uh, kind of. So I was thinking, I'm like, you know, I, I've, I'm a professional automotive photographer. So it was something where it kind of, I was thinking a way to get out of the house. And I've done a lot of uh, charity work through my magazine with um, the Starlight Children's Foundation. So these are kids where they're, they're very seriously immunocompromised. So they can't leave their house. So, you know, when you see kids out there riding their bikes or kicking a soccer ball around their backyard. Um, these kids don't have that luxury. So something where I was like, you know, how can I use something that, to be honest, my job doesn't save a lot of lives. So if, uh, if I can use kind of my access to these cars for a benefit um, for the kids, that was kind of how the whole thing came about. 
so the so the idea i mean the idea seems like it's a natural for you though i mean you want to do something to help and shooting cars is what you're really good at but who yeah. who decided or who came up with the idea that people would want portraits because when i say take a picture of your car that that if people have not seen these they can find them online these are not pictures that, that's a that's a not nearly a good enough way to describe them. these are beautiful portraits of their vehicle where did that idea come from oh thanks and, and you know what this is the same kind of thing i've done for a long time so usually the guys will hire me to to shoot stuff like this but it, it's something where it's like you know what i i texted a few of my buddies who have a lot of fancy cars and i told them about the idea um and it's interesting because even these guys like i've shot their cars before they have pictures on their wall already but they're like, you know what, they're like, come over, here's five of my cars. Um, and it's amazing how generous they are. Like we've raised, I think it's about $14,000 now over the course wow. of two and a half weeks. Um, so same thing, like they're obviously very wealthy people, but they just like to give back and it's a nice way for them to kind of give back through their passion. Um, and same thing, a lot of these people have worked extremely hard to get these cars. And some people have this misconception of these very wealthy people that, uh, it was kind of handed to them, but I'd say 90% of my clients, um, same thing. They all started from very humble beginnings. So it's kind of a point of pride and they've sacrificed a lot to get these cars. Uh, so it's a bit more than a portrait for these people. And that's the thing. It's, it's interesting trying to describe it to people who aren't really car people. Um, but these people have worked really hard throughout their whole life and it's kind of their treat for their uh, hard work and a lot of their sacrifices. So it doesn't strike you in any way as odd, because I, I guarantee you there are some people listening right now who would say, this is weird that somebody would oh, do sure. this. I, um, you know, it's trying to, for me to describe what I do for a living, usually to people who aren't into cars um, is always fairly interesting. But I guess like I've grown up around cars and been around this world a long time. So it's something where it's kind of seems second nature for me, but I, I get the other side of it too. <laughs> Well, and, and you know, even I, I, I'll admit when I first saw this, uh, my first thought was that it was kind of silly in a sense. And then I stopped and I thought, okay, wait a second though. And I'm not being insulting. I mean, people no. have all kinds of pictures of beautiful things that people have pictures of golf courses up on their walls or mountains or horses or whatever. I mean, it's like, it, it doesn't have to be just your family that you find beautiful that you would want to see on your wall. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like, some of these guys, they have a lot of other interests. So some guys are into horses. Some guys are into hockey. Everybody's got their thing, right? So it's something where I've I've been into cars my whole life. So it's neat how I can kind of do that professionally now. But I get it. Like, it's something that it seems a bit trivial from the outside. And um, it, it, it's such a supportive network of automotive owners in Toronto and, and Hamilton and the GTA. Um, and that's what I found. Like, we've done a lot of charity events through our magazine. But it's something where really people come together um, and give back through their passion. So we do track days where the guys will take their fancy cars to the track, but then they'll take some of the kids out who are very seriously um, disabled as well. So it's nice. Like it, on the outside, it seems like it's just these guys with their fancy cars, but there's there's so much more to it for people who are in that community. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're chatting with Lucas Scarfoni, who is a photographer. He shoots cars mostly and uh, lately has been doing car portraits, which if you're just joining us, you're going, wait a second, what's a car portrait? Well, it's exactly as it sounds, but people have beautiful cars and they can't get out and do a lot right now. People can't. And so Lucas is driving around all over Ontario, uh, taking these gorgeous pictures of their gorgeous cars. And Lucas, just, you know, for a uh, sort of to set the stage here, what kind of cars are we talking about? When I say gorgeous cars, like how, how elite or crazy expensive a car are we talking? Uh, so I say in the, the higher range, I shot about a $4 million Ferrari. 
And then uh, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, I shot one of my buddy's Jeeps. So this like a guy I went to high school with. And so the same thing, you don't need anything crazy that uh, it's approachable that way. You know, like I've shot Ford Focuses, I shot my own little Volkswagen. Um, and then we have done some of the big cars. So yeah, we've done uh, Porsches, Ferrari, Lamborghini, uh, Bugatti, Spiker, uh, a little bit of everything. Does the person who has the Ford Focus understand the concept? <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. If you go on uh, if you go on my website, you can see the pictures. They actually came out really nice. So and that's what I found about the automotive community. It's something where uh, the guy who has the Ford Focus loves it just as much as the guy with the $3 million Bugatti. So it's something where I really try to make things approachable that way, where it's a minimum $100 donation. So obviously some of the guys are very generous and they give more than that, but like it's it's something where my buddies I went to high school with who drive normal cars, they can contribute as well. So we, I tried to make it really kind of approachable for everyone. I should get you to come and take mine. It wouldn't probably <laughs> engender a lot of awe, but sympathy it, uh, might be created. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, okay. So what's the secret then to taking, you've done this for a long time. Uh, now there are going to be people who hear this and go, well, I've got a nice car and I don't really, I'm too cheap to go and give a donation. And <laughs> so I want to take a good picture of my car. I don't want you to give away all your state secrets, but how do you take a beautiful photo of an inanimate object and make it beautiful? For sure. And that's the thing. It's, it's kind of a challenge for me, which is uh, always exciting. So the biggest thing is background, right? So you could put like the most beautiful car in the world beside a dumpster and it doesn't really do much for that car. Um, whereas you can put a Ford Focus beside Niagara Falls and it'll look beautiful. So that's the biggest thing is trying to find like a background where it's, uh, there's no distractions that kind of sets the whole mood for the photo. Um, and then the other big thing is lighting. So it's kind of the, the golden hour is kind of the rule of thumb for automotive photography. So it's kind of the first hour when the sun comes up and the last hour before the sun goes down. And um, that's where you get usually that nice, warm kind of soft light, um, versus, shooting a car at 12 o'clock in the afternoon with a blazing sun. So that's a big help. Now, because of what's going on right now, and because most people are stuck in their houses, are most of these now being done in driveways where people just pull it out of the garage and say, Lucas, swing by and the car will be sitting there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's exactly what happens. So how it works is someone will reach out to me. Um, I'll, they'll give me their address and provide the donation. And then they literally just park the car in the driveway. Um, and same thing, I'll show up, take a bunch of pictures, um, if I want them to open the engine or something cool like that, um, I just have to give them a call. I get back in my car, they open the engine, I get back out and then take some more pictures. So yeah, it's, it's contact free. I don't touch anything. And same thing. I, uh, I get to kind of wave at them from the front porch. So that's about it. Do they ever want to be in the picture or is it just the car? That's a good question. I've actually never had somebody be in the picture yet. So <laughs> really? Uh, well, I, I wonder why. Yeah. You know what? It's something where. I don't know. A lot of people, it's, uh, they have a lot of pictures of themselves and their family. And this is something where it's just kind of strictly the, uh, the toy usually. I guess. I mean, a part of me, just as I'm asking that question wonders, I mean, we are Canadian and we, you know, we, a lot of people, I guess, even if they have money, don't love showing off their wealth. It seems sort of boastful or something. Yeah, Yeah, no, I, I think so. Yeah. And some people obviously they're not really comfortable having it in their actual driveway. So they'll kind of park it on the street sometimes or they'll kind of, just park it somewhere else where they're not comfortable having a shot of it in front of their house. So that's the thing. I share a lot of the the photos on social media just to kind of get people excited about it. Um, So yeah, it's really up to the owner. If they want to park it in front of a bunch of trees down the street, that's no problem at all. So it's um, yeah, it's really whatever they're comfortable with. Lucas, here's the thing about it is again, the pictures are terrific. I mean, they really are beautiful, but I, and we're not talking about hundreds and hundreds and thousands. We're talking about dozens, I think at this point, right? So far. 
Yeah, so so far I shot 46 cars. So Okay. And, and even then, like the, the idea that uh, there's enough cars to do this, enough of these super high-end cars around, because as I said off the top, you don't see them very often. If you see a Lamborghini go by, like that's a special moment that you you remember that, oh, I saw that. You come home and you tell someone about it. It just doesn't seem to me that there would be that many around, but I guess there are a bunch of people who have some pretty nice cars around. Oh, for sure. Like I have a spreadsheet on my laptop um, just with the owners and who's asked me so far. Um, there's another 60 owners on there. So bet- between those 60 uh, owners, there's about 250 cars. So there's there's a wow. lot of cars in the city, but yeah, same thing. Like a lot of people are pretty low key with them and they don't really advertise the fact that uh, they have pretty expensive collections, but it's nice, you know, if they can use it to give back and same thing with the kids, like it's what the Starlight Foundation does with the money um, with this project is they send the kids these play from home packages. So it's nice, like these kids can't go outside because they're they're very seriously immunocompromised. So to be able to kind of give the kids um, those activities and that joy from home, it's really special for the owners of the cars too. So for them, they just kind of have to pull the car out of the driveway and if they can do that and uh, make a donation, it's, it works out well for everyone. Do you have a website, Lucas, where people can see this or get in contact with you if they maybe have a car and want to do this? Absolutely. Yeah. Usually social media is a bit easier for that. So it's um, just at Scarfoni photo. So S-C-A-R-F-O-N-E-P-H-O-T-O. Excellent. And if you do in the next little while come across any single women with a Bugatti or higher, (laughs) Ben is willing and able to meet with them. Uh, I will arrange it for him and, uh, you know, maybe take the car for a drive while they're out doing something. But um, uh, Lucas, really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks so much. It's a lot of fun. No problem. Thanks for having me. That is Lucas Scarfoni. Again, scarfonephoto.com. Go look it up. The pictures are, some of them are amazing. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're going to take a few minutes at this point uh, that the plan anyway had been to talk about restarting leagues and other things in the sports business world because, boy, we're, we're now hearing some stories that well baseball says they're going to get going and nhl says they're going to try and get the playoffs in and golf may restart and everything but we don't really know nobody really knows and and every time you hear a little bit of good news you hear some cold water being thrown on the idea but there is some news that has broken over the past 24 hours that seems to be the story of the day everybody is talking about this now on social media and elsewhere and everybody seems to have an opinion on this one, and that is the CFL's request to the federal government for a $150 million bailout in the event the, the season is lost. If the season is played, they're asking for $30 million right now and then another $120 million down the road if things don't get going. Now, personally, I, I believe this is going to be an incredibly difficult sell for the government. Not that they won't give something, perhaps, but $150 million is going to be a really, really hard sell, I think. However, uh, my next guest is an assistant professor of sports business at Brock University. His name is Mike Norain. He joins me now. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm good, Scott. How are you doing? I'm Excellent. Thanks so much for joining me again. Um, you heard this story in the last 24 hours or so, and you start talking about, uh, I mean, $150 million may not be all that much in the grand scheme of the bailouts we've been hearing about, but $150 million is $150 million. Could this, do you think this can possibly gain traction with the broader public where the government would say, yeah, we want to do this and we know it'll be popular? 
Uh, okay, well, so b- b- before I respond to that direct question, I, I just want to preface the conversation because I know we're, we're talking in Hamilton. Uh, there are a lot of Hamilton Tiger Cat fans. There's a lot of CFL supporters. <laughs> Uh, I, and I actually, I, I have got a strong uh, support. Uh, I'm a strong supporter of the CFL as well. I, I worked the 2007 Grey Cup uh, in Toronto. Lenny Kravitz is a halftime show. Uh, I've got some, some anecdotes about running into Kerry Joseph and, and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders after the game. But uh, as you mentioned, $150 million is a lot of money. And so the, the question that you ask is, will this gain traction? And the, the broader question we need to ask is, if it would gain traction, would there not be the fan support across the country so widespread that the $150 million would be needed altogether? And so um, I, I spoke about this with a few people today. And, um, you know, yeah, again, $150 million is a lot of money. And the way I would, I would best put it is uh, that old, age-old analogy of, uh, you know, you walk to, to the zoo or you go to a pond and you see a sign that says, don't feed the animals. And, and, you know, you, as a child, you, you think about that and you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I, I, I love animals. I would want to feed them. But if you feed one, then the rest will come to the trough as well, right? And in this particular situation, the precedent that that sets is uh, enormous. You know, if you give one professional sports league $150 million, then the others are going to come to the trough and ask for the same. And it was, it's been less than a week, I believe, or perhaps maybe just, just slightly over a week, uh, that the federal government contributed and, and uh, uh, pledged $500 million, so half a billion dollars, to, uh, to Heritage Canada for sports, culture, and the arts. And a lot of that money was earmarked for the national sport organizations, which are the lifeblood of our sports system here in Canada. And so, you know, there, there are going to be people that are throwing up their, their hands saying, you know, we've got to support our sports here in Canada. Sports are important. And, and I'm all for that, and I agree with that as well. But the, the lifeblood of the sports system are our amateur athletes who grow from little ones to elite athletes who represent us in professional sports leagues as well as uh, Olympic and ma- uh, multi-sport events worldwide, Commonwealth Games, etc. Uh, and, you know, for one league to ask for that $150 million, that is a very tough sell. So the direct short answer to your uh, response to your question is, no, I don't think this is going to gain traction. I think it's a, it's a popular story because it is the CFL, because we, there are uh, a lot of supporters of the CFL, not just in our area here in, in the GTHA, but uh, across Canada, um, and, and that it's been around for over a century, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's ingrained in the Canadian fabric, but if it was so ingrained, uh, then there would not necessarily need, uh, have this need for a bailout. There would um, have been stronger corporate support. There would have been stronger fan support. But as we know, Scott, the CFL is, for lack of a better term, a tier two sport uh, sport league. You know, it's not Major League Baseball. It's not the National Basketball Association. It is a league um, which has medium, small to medium-sized budgets in the grand scheme of things. And so there was going to be, if there was ever going to be a pandemic or a situation in where, you know, there might not be gate revenues coming in, which is a lot of what the CFL is based off of financially, then this was going to be the situation where it might teeter towards the the side of not coming to fruition altogether. Well, and and something that we, I don't think we can overlook is the fact that pro sports leagues and pro sports teams don't make for compelling, sympathetic victims too often. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you think about the, I mean, even just the past 20, 30 years, but even the history of professional sports in North America, 
Um, there's been a lot of vitriol and, and uh, negative publicity related to sports teams asking for uh, you know, handouts from municipal and provincial governments or even state governments in the United States, uh, for that matter, asking for, oh, we need money for a new stadium. You know, even if you look at what the Edmonton Oilers did in Alberta um, and what, what, what the Cats group did out there in Edmonton to pretty much you know, stronghold them into getting their new facility built. And then obviously what happened with Mayor Nenshi in Calgary with the Calgary Flames and, and that back and forth. And we're seeing that here closer to home. You know, Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa Senators have been going on and on about trying yeah. to get a new stadium built in Ottawa. Um, and that's a story for another day. But No, no, but uh, it's not. It doesn't make, we got to take a quick break here, but it doesn't, I say, they're not always sympathetic. And so, you know, we, we think of pro athletes fairly or not as millionaires and the owners as billionaires. Not necessarily the case with the CFL, but certainly it's, uh, it's a bit of a sell. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We had someone call in and say, look, when I go to a game, I'm paying 11 bucks or whatever it is for a beer, and I'm paying good money for this and that and the other. Why a grant? Why a bailout? Why would the CFL not come to the government and say, look, can we do some form of grant slash loan that we would pay back? Because right now they've said what we're going to pay back is an in-kind thing where we'll do public service announcements and things like that. That doesn't seem like it's really digging down into the CFL's pocket. Why would they not say, look, if we make a profit or whatever profit we make for the next five years, because we want to keep this league alive, we'll pay that back in real cash. Would that not be more of a winning strategy? Well, it would be, but I mean, you have to now think about the reason for the league to exist altogether. I mean, so on one hand, uh, and I've got a few athletes uh, in the CFL who've been just messaging me um, over the past half hour who are obviously in disagreement with what I'm saying, but, you know, the league is... is it exists, excuse me, to make money, right? I mean, it's trying to generate sure. profits. Uh, the Toronto Argonauts are owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So, um, you know, they're, the owner, the ownership groups are in this to make money. I mean, certainly there are public ownership groups like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but, you know, at the end of the day, the, the goal is to make money. I mean, winning the championship is a function of making more money. So um, as far as generating revenues are concerned, yeah, it's a little bit tricky because, you know, to that to that caller or to that uh, audience member who's saying, yeah, you know what, I'm paying $11 for my beer and I got to pay 20 bucks for parking. You know, those are all ancillary revenues that are very important to the CFL. And the league model for the CFL, as I mentioned, is a very, I don't want to say mom and pop operation because that does a disservice to the league. No, but it's low margin. It's a low it margin is. league. It's, it's very thin. It's razor thin, but it's also driven by those ancillary revenues. And so the reason why the CFL is in the position in, in, that it's in is because there are this this inability, excuse me, for fans to go to the game because of social distancing. So even if the league were to get off the ground, which is what you've mentioned off the top, they're still going to be asking for some cash because it would be that cash that would usually be generated through the ancillary revenues, like purchasing beers, purchasing uh, merchandise and, and paraphernalia. The, the other part of this, though, is as I mentioned off the top, if you do this, and create this semblance of, well, you know what, we can get help from the federal government, it causes a, uh, you know, the other animals to come to the trough, for lack of a better term. And, and sure. I've just seen that the uh, Canadian Premier League, which is the new soccer league, started up in 2017, has now asked the federal government for $15 million. And so we're starting to see this, this right. train 
and momentum coming forward. And you're, soon you'll see the CHL come out and say, you know what? We could use some additional funding because we just canceled our league. And, and the RBC show. Canadian Open will come up and the Rogers Cup tennis tournaments will come and everyone and, and not just sports. Now, someone pointed out on social media today, and I thought it was a really smart point. You'll, you'll get groups, music groups, the Arkells, for example. Now I'm throwing their name out there. Uh, you know, unfortunately, they've never done anything like this, but could come forward and say, look, our summer concert was canceled. We just lost X million dollars we deserve some of this as well it's not just sports so you end up you're right you end up opening up a pandora's box here the one difference i suppose is that the cfl can i think fairly point to history and point to culture and point to being a unique thing on the canadian cultural landscape can that carry any water does that separate them from any of these other groups the fact that they've been around for a hundred and whatever years Absolutely. And that, that's the reason why we're having this conversation now, right? Versus, well, why aren't we having this conversation about, uh, you know, helping out the, you know, the John Doe down the corner with his grocery right. store or whatever the case may be. The, what exacerbates this conversation, though, and what I really want the listeners to, to understand, though, is while we who are sports fans believe that the CFL is ingrained in our fabric, there, there's, it's not, that's not written in stone, right? And, and the other thing related to that is, you know, many years ago, there used to be other teams that participated in the CFL, not only American teams, but youth sports or CIS teams. You know, the University of Toronto, Varsity Blues, played in the Won Grey the first Grey Cup. They won the first Ab- one. Absolutely. And as a former University of Toronto alumni, I'm very proud of that. that <laughs> but but, but th- th- that brings up an interesting point, Scott. You know, we're talking about, say, $150 million. Now, imagine, and, and again, we're just talking about the sports sector here, but imagine this in my utopian vision, $150 million injected into the intercollegiate athletics system here in Canada. Because for a long time, you know, in the GTHA, we've talked about losing some of our top athletes to the United States. Oh, well, when you get really good, you'll go to an NCAA school and you'll go down to uh, Ohio or Texas or Florida and you'll play. And we sort of lose that elite athletic system. And for many years, we've discussed how our youth sports and intercollegiate athletics programs have not been able to justify some of its revenue generation. It hasn't been able to get to where it needs to be. $150 million goes a long way. And I've I've spoken to a few uh, people within that system, the intercollegiate athletic system here in Canada. And coming out of the coronavirus situation, they're also going to be in a situation where you're talking about McMaster or Brock or U of T or you, you name it those schools are also going to be in a position where they're looking at their finances saying, will we be able to participate in, you know, the Vanier Cup? Will we be able to participate in, uh, you know, the Tri-Kelly Cup? Uh, Everyone's going to need something. Everyone's going to need some. Absolutely. It's, so, it's a, uh, so, it's, sorry, I got to jump in, Michael, because yeah. uh, unfortunately time is short, but we'll do this again for sure, because it's a fascinating topic. And again, it does sound like, Pandora's box could be flung open, which would be really, really difficult if this were to happen. At the same time, we don't want to see the CFL go down. So as I say, we'll pick up this conversation soon. Mike Narain uh, from Brock University. Always love having you on. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no, thanks again, Scott. Have a good evening. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.